right, what is up, everyone? Welcome back here to another episode of the Lure Lab, a part of the Serious Angler Network. As always, I am your host, and today we have a really fun episode. We are talking frogs, frog fishing, in and out, weed mats, laydowns, uptight to cover. And our guest is going to be Hunter Shryak. I hope I said that right. I'm terrible with pronunciating names, but um, I hope you tuned in to last week's show where we had Taylor Watkins on and we broke down all the ins and outs and about spinnerbait fishing and how changing blades out can affect the performance of a spinnerbait and how to tune them to get them back running right. That was a really awesome episode, but let's dive in here, get Hunter on and talk some frog fishing. What's going on, man? How you What's doing? What's happening? Good. How are you doing? Ready you to get my boat. <laughs> <laughs> You did announce my name right. That was perfect. I was surprised because most people don't. Most people add the yeah. R after the Y, so you got it right. Um, yeah, after- he was talking about that spinnerbait episode. I need to listen to that. Yeah, it was one uh, thing I'm yeah. not very uh, tuned up on. It's funny. It's something that I feel like we've all put away in our back pocket, and then we're like, "Dang it! When should I throw a spinnerbait?" And it just catches them. It's fun. I love it. Oh, it's such so. a fun bite. Like I have a. a you know, so many spinnerbaits and then Berkeley just came out with theirs. And I'm like one of those people, like I'll go and throw it because you know, the conditions to throw it in. But if I don't get a bite, like, okay, the spinnerbait's junk. I don't know how to make it better. I don't know why it's good or why it's bad. Obviously like the smaller wire, stuff like that. But dude, those new, those spinnerbaits that they came out with from Berkeley are pretty legit with that. Yes. (laughs) So that longer hook, have you, have you caught some on it? I am not. I'm actually like a diehard War Eagle fan, and there's only one reason why. It's the yeah. uh, hammered blades. I only okay. buy the hammered blade ones that have gold and silver blades on them because the way they refract light, and I only uh-huh. throw them in the fall. I and gotcha. Like, that's my crux. Like, <laughs> yeah, I only that's throw your go-to. Them yeah. And, yeah. But you got confidence in it. That's all that matters, so it's going to work. <laughs> yeah. I've won a couple tournaments doing it, but that's about the only time I ever throw it. So I'm like, I right. need to throw it more. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> I heard that. We're talking frogs today, which I is know. another really, frogs. really fun technique, right? So let's Better dive right in. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know what's better, a frog eating, a, fro- a largemouth eating a frog through a mat or like a six pound smallmouth ripping the rod out of your hand when it crushes a spinnerbait. Right. Like, Just it, cutting your line. It feels like, <laughs> oh, like so much. Reeling it and you get like five feet of slack. You're like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you reel in, he's all the way over there. <laughs> yeah. Smallmouth. I, I miss them and I love them and I hate them all at the same time. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. So let's dive in. Favorite frogs? Are you a walking frog or a popping frog fan or a so, both? Yeah, I'm a I'm definitely a walking frog uh, fan more than the popping frog. And and to be honest with you, I really do feel like the popping frog does generate bigger bites. Uh, there's just something about the way that thing pops. Um, that, that does generate larger than average size fish on a frog just day in and day out. The problem with the pro- the popping frog, and I think this is across the board for everyone, is your hookup ratio. Uh, something to do with the way that cup is on the mouth of that frog, going back to the hook points. I don't know what it is, 
but I've had some bad experiences with a popping frog, specifically like the spro. I mean, you got everyone has a spro popping frog tied on. It's a big fish, you know, bait, and people throw it just normally, whatever. But you do tend to lose them more than the typical walking frog. So uh, that's why I kind of, you know, being a tournament angler, I lean towards that, you know, just normal walking body frog. This is my favorite frog. I believe this is the Jackal IOB. The okay. hookup ratio on this thing is incredible. It's super yeah. soft. The one thing that I actually do enjoy about it, and it might be hard to see, but right here you can see how there's like a little notch in the hook they put in there, and it causes the hook points to raise. Yeah. So the, the hookup is incredible on it. They just tear after like two fish every time. Yeah, so. and that's that's one thing I haven't experimented with. But throwing as many frogs as what I do, I haven't gotten into like the JDM jackal frogs, like the Japan style. Like, like what was that one again? The jackal Iobi. Jackal one. I know there's like a depths one. There's all kinds of them. They're super high priced too. And I yeah, think- I think this is eleven ninety nine or twelve ninety nine. Like just ridiculous yeah it's not terrible but it's it's not no (laughs) i yeah i'm pretty much either a spro or a booyah like that's just kind of like you were talking about with your center base like that what you had confidence in and i just you know i I, that's what i had the most confidence in the the bodies are soft they're collapsible the hookup ratio and i know what to expect you know when i'm when i'm using them and pretty consistent across the board um Heck, I even run the stock hooks in them. And I've that's something that I experimented a lot with, trying to, you know, replace and put in different hooks. And ultimately found that just going back to the stock hooks, you do have to check and make sure because they do change them sometimes. Even the, the same manufacturer will put in like a different brand of hook. So you just take it out of the package and just make sure it's the hook that you want and then go from there. <laughs> Jeez, I that's something I never even like knew or thought about because I'm just like, oh, for a ten dollar frog, it's like, yeah, I can understand changing the hooks on a jerk bait, but on a frog, I've never really experimented with that. And now I'm like, crap, now I want to go find my frog box and like, are they different? Yeah, yeah, you'll 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 probably notice you'll pull out the same type of frog, and if you got five of them, you might have one or two that are different from the rest of them. And it's just so because of like. You're in- manufactured date basically and what they have in stock could have yeah some will be a big round hook and others will be like a a smaller gap flatter long shanked point to it so yeah it's kind of weird but (laughs) very interesting like yeah just my attention going off that makes me mad like inside (laughs) that makes me really mad but um favorite colors of frogs like you know everyone's got their favorites mine's like a blue right. yellow or a black so what are your favorite colors for fish i frog? mean my favorite i mean if i can always if i'm going to put on a frog a, a white one's always going to be the first one and that sounds i mean it's either like white or black for most people right and so most of the time i'm like that shad imitator type of deal uh but it's either it's white black or like a yellow that's it and and I know a lot of people will get really crazy with the colors and what they think. But to me, a bass looking up and you think of sunlight looking back at them, you know, they're not 
probably getting that good of a look at it as what we think they are. Now, certain situations, clear water, you know what I mean? I can see where something will make a difference, but overall, like they're biting that thing because the conditions are right. They're in a good mood and you know, you're throwing it in the right place. Like that, that's you're agitating them more so than they're like, Oh, well that's not, that's not that perch that I was chasing earlier. I'm not going to eat it. <laughs> you know? like, I don't think they get like that. Do you ever choose the color of your frog based on like light conditions? So if it's sunny or overcast or windy. Yeah. Um, my biggest thing is, you know, going back to the white, black, or yellow, what am I fishing around? You know, is it the springtime? Is it a shad spawn or are the fish spawning? Um, you know, is it summertime brim beds or is it the fall? You know, springtime, if they're on beds, I, I kind of lean more towards that black and yellow bodied frog or a green or whatever it is, green, yellow. I, I don't know what that looks like. That kind of looks like green, but it's yellow to me. Anyhow, so something that imitates a brim, right? If they're on beds. Um, and then obviously the shad spawn, you're going to throw white, uh, awesome, awesome bait to be able to have around the shad spawn. And then and back in the fall, they're chasing bait and it's going to be white again. Um, but it's getting back to your question, as far as like the light conditions, uh, if I was throwing a white frog and now all of a sudden it's super, super cloudy out, I will maybe color the bottom of it, like maybe put some brown Sharpie marker to kind of, it's still like a translucent. It makes it more of a, uh, you get what I'm saying? It's not a solid black. It still yeah. has some white to it, but something that maybe they can see a little bit more. And I haven't done that a whole lot because typically they still eat it regardless. So yeah. on that point <laughs> of coloring the belly black, this one guy fished with, I don't know, like seven, eight, nine years ago. I don't remember the exact timeline. He literally had a white spro. It's the one with like, I forgot what it's like tropical something, the color, and it has like orange in it. He literally painted oh, yeah. the, the bottom of it like pitch black. And I was like, dude, why don't you just throw a black frog? Like, if you want it that yeah. black, like it's coming yeah, through. Yeah, yeah. You can hardly see it. I'm like, why waste the, the frog and just buy a black one? <laughs> <laughs> I do see the ones that are like black on the bottom and they have the white on the top. And so that's more for us to be able to see it. You know, right. as anglers, we can see it better. So that makes sense. Um, I mean, I've been in the boat with uh, Jacob Wheeler and we, we were frogging and here on the Tennessee River and side by side. And he went through all kinds of frogs. And I went through all kinds of frog colors and we both had the same amount of bites, basically. He even threw a pink frog and got bites. continued and continue to get this, you know what I mean? Like every 10, 15 minutes, if we're around them, you get a bite. And so like, me seeing that, and yes, it was around mats, but they could still, it was kind of like opening holes and stuff. So like, to me, it was like, it doesn't matter that much, you know, more or less the silhouette, you know, yeah. of them being able to see it. That's that very interesting. So basically what you're saying is you can buy whatever color frog you want, and if you throw it in the right time in the right place, you're probably going to get bit on it. Is The biggest thing is having confidence in what you're yeah. throwing. Yeah. Um, I want to say, I'm going to go ahead and go down this rabbit hole with frog fishing. Uh, and, and it's like my setup, all my stuff's super basic. It's the conditions, trumps, everything 
about the frog. Now there's things to do to modify, obviously, that make, you know, basically your hookup ratio. And that's, that's obviously the other biggest thing with a frog is your hookup ratio, but the weather, the conditions trumps everything. And it's taken me a long time to realize that being able to, uh, to see the day that the frog is going to work and see the day that the frog's not going to work. Um, and being a tournament angler, multi-day events, I may get on a frog bite in practice, right? And um, no matter what time of the year, spring through fall, fall, I have a, a frog tied on in my boat. But you get on that frog bite, but then there's weather coming in. And I mean, in a week's time, you're always going to have fronts coming in and out, in and out. Especially on the Elite Series. Especially on the Elite Series. It's it's like if there's not a flash flood, there's something going on. Yeah. So we're always faced with those conditions. And, you know, how do you adjust? How do you make that work throughout the week? Um, and the biggest thing that I've learned is they do not like it. Not saying they won't eat it, but they do not like it with a high pressure system. So after a front rolls through and you get a north wind, I'm telling you, I've, I've lost a lot of money <laughs> because I've tried to push that issue, right? And the fish are still there, but you're asking them to do a lot to come up and attack this bait when they're not feeling up to it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, prefrontal, I mean, when it, you know, you got a front coming in, low pressure and you got the clouds, maybe you got a little bit of wind and you're throwing it in protected areas, hang on you're going to get bites. You know what I mean? Like you, and that's, that's a lot of ways with a lot of things, but with that frog, you're asking a lot out of those fish commitment wise to come up, eat that bait and hold on to it long enough for you to set the hook and catch it. And so what happens with that North wind, and it's usually the second, the first day of the North wind, you can be all right. Maybe, you know what I mean? Like you'll, you'll almost feel it throughout the day. Um, can, are you still there? Yep. Like you okay. almost feel the conditions like running away from you on that frog bite is what you're saying. Yes. Right? And like that first day of the North wind throughout that day, at some point, if you, if you're throwing it all day, you will probably see that transpire. But by the second day, it really like kicks them in the head. Mm -hmm. And and the, the deal is, is adjusting how to catch those fish you know, that you were once targeting with a frog, can you still catch them on something else or do you have to abandon them? And like, for me, a swim jig is always a good go-to in that situation or a fluke, you know, a weightless stick bait, like a general, something like that. You don't feel as good about it. Right. But no. that's a way, <laughs> that's a way to, you know, combat that. Now, Again, going back to having the weather on your side, the frog bite's unbelievable. You lock it in your hands and go for it. That's that's what I've just I've done so many times, and it has worked out. And those times that it hasn't has been due to weather. Another big thing is lightning. If you have lightning the day or night before a tournament, for whatever reason, shallow fish, it just freaks them out. And so what you'll do is you'll get a lot of short strikes. And being able to read that early enough to be able to be like, okay, I need to pull the plug on this and try something else because they'll keep, they'll keep your hopes up and you might catch one or two or three, but it's just not the same as what it possibly was before. Um, 
again, this is just me being burned time and time again by it. <laughs> fish. They're kind of like yeah. bait fish, right? Like they, yeah. they show up when you least expect it. Well, you, you hope they show up when you want to expect it, but then they just disappear when you least expect it. But it's it. a lot like that. It's a lot like a spinnerbait because a spinnerbait takes good conditions to throw it, right? And when yeah. it's there, you just do it. And then you want to go out and do it again the next day, and you don't have those conditions. And yeah. so... <laughs> I feel like you could say that for a lot of things in bass fishing, though. Like yep. a lot of different techniques are that way. The only thing that we know that always catches fish is a wacky Sanko and a drop shot. Like it may yeah. be a shaky head, maybe. No, hundred percent. Because I mean, at least you can force feed them with that stuff, right? Um, yeah. You know, you you talk about swim baits or glide baits and stuff. Conditions, right? You got to have the right conditions, and then you you blast them one time, but it was because everything was was right for it. You know, a, a frog isn't that extreme um, because given the time of the year, they're they're going to be on that top water hard anyhow. Um, but again, just be leery or be conscious of, of the weather and the situations that you're dealing with. And, you know, it, it can produce in a big, big way for you or hurt your feelings. Yeah. It always tends to hurt my feelings. And then <laughs> I'll go back the next day and delete it. And I'll be like, there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause you get a four or five day window. They're going to bite it for like three days at least. And two exactly. days are not going to be on it. <laughs> oh yeah. So let's dive into your setups. You said that you have basically you, your frog fishing is ba very basic, right? So kind of dive yeah. into your setups, but like, do you have two different setups for open water and weed mats versus like when you're fishing tight to structure, like lay downs and docks. So kind of dive into that and rod and reel and maybe the yeah. line size of the braid that you use. Yep. And, um, I do have a YouTube video on my mat fishing, uh, frog setup. So, I don't know if that's something you guys could point them to as well, just to give them some more information on it. But pretty much if I am doing an open body frog, I'm going to take this frog right here. And I'm not a big, like, I, I don't leave the legs long. I know guys do. I don't think there's a right or wrong way, but I take a pair of scissors on about an inch. And I'm going to cut it this way and I'm going to do it a little bit shorter or a little bit longer or a little bit shorter on the opposite leg. And all that's, and I'm going to clip it from this angle. So now you have these tapered and what that's going to do is allow that frog to walk better. And I think a lot of people already know that, but that's just, that's what I do. So the legs are pretty short. And I think what that does is gives me a little bit better hookup ratio because there's less legs for that fish to come up. And because you got to think, they're trying to suck this frog in and now you got legs that are super long it's just more stuff in the way that could keep them from eating it so um and then that's it like i'm gonna make sure that the hooks are good uh probably just turn them up a little bit with a set of pliers and like i want to be able to brush my fingers across the top of it and feel you know almost get a, a hook point in your finger when you're brushing the top of it uh, if I'm fishing like a lot of like laydowns or wood, I'm going to probably not do that as much just because you're going, you are going to get snagged up more. Um, but if I'm fishing like just grass and stuff, I, I want to get those hook points as high as I can get away with them. Um, and that's pretty much it. Uh, I'll add a dab of super glue on the eye 
and this will shorten the life of your frog. But what I've noticed, maybe you've seen this too, where you catch one and it pulls the body down the shank of the hook. And what that did, and you probably lost the fish because then the whole frog balled up on the mm -hmm. points of your hook. So you didn't get a hook in them. You had the bite, you had the fish on, but if you throw the frog long enough, more likely, or if you get a couple of fish, it's going to pass. It's, yeah. So I super glue it. You can keep super gluing it until it falls apart. Um, I've had these things when they really start getting good is when you, the teeth marks and they're all, you know how it is when they're super soft, they're all worn out. The color's halfway gone. Those are your yep. best frogs, but taking, taking put, once you get to that point, put that frog in the box and get a new one out start practicing with it. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got a couple of those. It's only going to last like five to 10 more fish once they're really worn down. I feel like, because I know, but dude, terrible. all they have to do is breathe on it and they're going to get hooked. Yeah, the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's why I like the Spros and a Booyah. This is a Booyah just because it's it's super collapsible, uh, super soft. It's basic. It's a cheap frog, nothing to it. Um, so that's open body frog. And now for like if I'm fishing mats and you know without grass, I'm actually going to cut both of these legs completely off. Because at this point, it doesn't even matter. Like, if there's no holes, I mean, you're going to have holes, but like, I'm primarily getting my bites out of what the, the cheese. Um, I'm going to take and cut these off and I'm going to take super glue just to make sure that, you know, water's not going to be coming in. And I'm going to fill those up. Then, depending on how thick the mats are, I'm going to add weight to it. And I'm not like a big, a, like a lot of weight. All I want is the frog to be able to penetrate that grass mat. And so that's a big deal because if it's so, it, more times than not, you're fishing across stuff that they can come up through, but you still need it to make an imprint so those fish know, you know, they feel that presence up above them. And so I like to add like a BB. You can add a tungsten weight, but it's still, the tungsten weights that I've ever found, you know, are still fairly large. And I don't want anything to impede, you know, the collapsibility of that. If that's even a word, collapsibility. I don't, I, I don't want nothing to stop that from collapsing. So if you can get away with as little as possible, that's the goal. Um, one thing I do like to do is take like a glass bead or a, a little worm glass rattle, put that in there. You can crush it. So now you don't have um like just one solid glass rattle it's crushed and you have like all kinds of broken glass in there sounds kind of crazy but it's not coming out fun. of it yeah it it's fun. a whole whole different sound um so and, and i rotate between either that or using these little jingle bells and this is funny these little tiny jingle bells and you can look on amazon and uh they're like brass jingle bells, like like ornaments making or something, but they're tiny, like they're little cute jingle bells. And do they have a sound like we don't have in fishing? This little ping ping ping. <laughs> so it just, it just makes the bass go crazy. Like, I don't know. I I mean I've I've seen that before. I I think I've seen it on a wired to fish uh, deal, and um, 
I'm like, I'm, I got to try that. So that's, I tried it and sure enough, and I think you can get even smaller ones. So get on Amazon, check out some small jingle bells or something that effect. And you can throw one of those in there. Um, again, just don't fill your frog up too much. You don't want it. You also don't want it like sinking all the way through the mat. Yeah. Um, you just want it just enough to where those fish know that something's up above it. So between that, uh, basically bending up the hooks, super glue the front. So now all you have is like this little nub of a <laughs> of a frog that's left. But that's, that, that's your ratting frog, you know. The, and the reason why the, I cut the legs off um, become the ground where they're, they're pulling that grass down, where uh, you've seen them come up through that grass. They're, they can be pretty vicious, and they don't have very good aim. No, so the horrible. more, Yeah, the more legs, the more surface area you have, the more likely that they're going to come up and miss it, but it kicks your frog away. And then you're like, you've seen them. You've seen them you know, miss the whole thing, and now your frog bounce, and he can't find it. And the fish is literally sitting there looking and you're two feet away and you don't get them to come back. And then you have to make another 30 yard cast to try to get it right on his head again. And you know how that is. It's not easy to do. So trim the legs off. They don't see them and smaller profile. will get you bit. I like it. Now, would you throw, you won't throw that same frog around like lay downs, lay downs and docks, will you? No, no. I specifically have like three rat frogs, one of each color in my frog box, unless I'm going to a, you know, uh, someplace like the Mississippi River. Uh, I just have those same three frogs in my box that are specifically just for grass mats. Everything else is open water frogs. Perfect. I enjoy it. So what is the rod and reel in like line size of your braid that you use? Yep. So uh, i Use a 7.3 medium or 7.3 heavy Veritas PLX tournament series rod. That's Abby Garcia. Um, I used to use the Fantasista Premier and they discontinued it. Hurt my feelings. And it took me a little bit of time. Rod of all time. I know it, it hurt my feelings because I, I literally have two 7.3 heavies that I, I don't know how many frogfish I've caught on. Since 2017, I've had that, those two rods. And so making that switch, I'm, I'm glad I found that rod in their lineup. And so it's, it's a lot like it and almost lighter. So, and that's a big deal with throwing a frog. If you're throwing it just for a little bit, it's, you know, it's okay to have a heavier rod. But if you can get that lighter rod with a heavy action, softer tip, that's a, that's a big deal not going to tire you out as much. It's going to be more enjoyable and you're going to be able to work your frog better. Uh, for the reel, I usually run the Xenon X and it's an eight, three to one. I like a faster gear ratio. It's got a good drag system on it. You don't have to do, you don't have to be super crazy, you know, like He-Man stuff with your frog as far as the drag and stuff like that. You just don't want one that's going to strip out like a, an aluminum gear over a, bra- a brass gear. So, um, line, I use 50 pound X five Berkeley braid. And sometimes I'll go up to 65. Uh, that's just depending on like the cover and everything else. But nine times out of 10, I'm going to 50 pound X five braid 
and I'm filling the entire spool up with X5. Like I know a lot of guys will put like a backing, but the way the reel is, I can tie it to the spool. And the reason is, you know how grass fishing is. I mean, there's mats that you can't even hardly get close enough to to make that long of a cast. So I don't know how far I cast it, but I've gotten pretty good at casting this thing a super long ways accurately. And it's a, it's a big deal. Um, and I'd say the last thing you want too is a knot in your reel or tape down catching on the braid as it's coming out. Cause right. that could hinder you as well on that super yep. long cast. I just, I've done it so many times to where I'll cast and literally, because you're using 50 pound braid, so the diameter is large. So I don't know exactly how many yards you're getting on it, but it's not the same as putting, you know, 20 or 30 pound braid on there or, you know, 15 pound fluorocarbon, whatever. So being able to cast this thing, it's easy, but I'll cast the dang near the spool off and I'll look down and I'll literally have like, you know, a a roll up or two of line on the spool, but I feel like you get more bites when you can make those casts because you don't have that pressure of the boat right there. And how many times have we been fishing mats and, Oh shoot, one just came up and it's all the way over there. And it's just almost out of reach. Well, you got to try because you know, if you don't get that, get to it in time, you're not going to get that bite. And so you just, you got to sling it. So that's, that's really, really important be able to you know utilize that x5 braid 50 pounds trying to get a long long cast out of it now i've heard a lot of people will go to like a 7.6 or a 7.10 like frog rod for open water and weed mat fishing but do you feel like you're more efficient with like that 7.3 like you know you're talking about that bass blowing up 30 40 yards away right you can turn around and just snap that 7.3 and be more accurate with it probably than a long rod yeah, for me, yes, that's uh, like I said before, making that 30 or 40 yard cast to a blow up hole that's this big. I mean, you got to be and then you got a little crosswind, you know, so now it's like you have to be. Oh, gosh, I don't know how many times I've been in a tournament and you're like there. The fish just blew up. You missed it. And now you have to deliver that next cast. Like it's so important to get that bait back in there, you know quickly and you got to do it you know quick and accurate and so it's a it's it's kind of like bed fishing in a way because there's nothing frog fishing even though it looks kind of fast it isn't very fast and especially if you're mat fishing that takes a long time to 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 fish and to sit there and you think oh i made a cast well now it's going to take you a minute to get it back to the boat so <laughs> very, very tedious process. So I have one last, I have two questions for you and you just prompted one of them. So you're practicing for an event, right? And you're covering this vast weed mat area. When you're pre-practicing, like looking at your maps and maybe even studying on Google earth, how do you predetermine where you think you're going to be able to get a fish to bite a frog based on like the topography, the contour lines on the bottom of the lake, and then history of seeing it. If you've never been to the lake, you know, there's certain things being able, if, if we're talking just about grass mats, um, being able to look at a grass mat and obviously our maps are so good. We can see the points and the humps and stuff. And that's, 
you know, you any type of irregularity is going to going to hold fish probably. Um, but being able to to look at a grass mat and judge what's the differences amongst it, and that's probably the biggest thing is my eyes are so trained anymore uh, to be able to see. Okay, the whole mat looks this color green, but now there's a different color. There's maybe a lighter green or a darker green. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna kind of spend a little more time on that or there's this the thickest part or the part that looks like it's been there the longest compared to the rest i'm going to spend my time on that um just picking up little things and then also when you get that first bite where did that bite come from in that grass mat did it come from this color that color open was it super tight um those are all the things that you know really key you in and even getting to that point, I like map fishing because it's, you can't always look at your map and say they're going to be right here, you know, because you can find a sneaky group of fish because you have to fish for them to find them. And so what I like to do, um, and it's probably not the correct way, but we don't have a lot of time in practice and you're trying to cover all these areas, dude, I will sling that thing and work it. I like, I'm almost like a speed toad, like just until you get a bite because there might be a mile. If you're fishing a grass lake, there's a mile of dead mat that nothing lives under, but then all of a sudden you get a bite You slow down a little bit. You get another bite I'm like, okay, I know there's fish here. Now come time for the tournament. I'll come back and soak my frog on that area and kind of find out how much is actually there. Um, but to find those bites, once you get around them, you know, you're around them, especially when you get up North. And um, the other big key is don't have your AirPods in, be listening to those mats. Because when you hear that, those brim, you, it just sounds like Rice Krispies. Everybody's heard it, but it's true. You'll, be, you'll go and you won't hear any. And more than likely, you, know, you don't get a bite or it's a random one or whatever, but the majority of like the schools and groups of fish will be around those Rice Krispies all those brim just sucking and popping at the surface. And, uh, you know, that's another key thing to listen to throughout the day because you'll, you'll have windows where there's nothing and those, those brim aren't eating and you're in a good area. Maybe it's in the tournament. And then all of a sudden life starts to happen. And typically it's when that sun gets up 10, 11, 12 o'clock, everything starts to come to life. The grass starts to heat up. Those fish start, popping and all of a sudden koosh you hear one <laughs> yeah koosh, you hear another one it's like heaven on earth <laughs> as you pull into a weed mat and i'll sit here yep like, and oh, so I'm that's they're yes ready to be cracked <laughs> so as much as we want to have the best frog it's like at the end of the day the conditions and where you're throwing it trumps what we're doing but again we got to get those fish in the boat so having that stuff that i mentioned super basic but it's put a lot of fish in the boat for me. And I know you've thrown a frog long enough to know that, you know, it's kind of the same deal. You, you take what you get and basically you got to go find them and do these simple modifications to your frog to help, you know, that landing percentage go up. But ultimately just being in tune with what's going on, what nature's given you. And that's, that's frog fishing to a tee. Love it. Thank you so much. So <laughs> one last question for you, and then I'll let you get out of here. But, um, you know, this last question is customized by do up molds and, you know, 
The question is, if you have one piece of advice or one last modification that you would give anyone who picks up a frog for the very first time, what would it be? Man, very first time. Um, if you're picking it up for the very first time, I would say when that frog eats it, and, it, and it, this is this actually this is great advice for anyone um, because it's taken me a while to learn this too. It's pay attention to your frog. Don't don't be waiting to hear this big splash that something ate it. So when you're working it. And if you're a beginner, you'll learn having that little bit of slack. You pop your reel at the same time. You get that, get this frog to basically walk like this. But we tend to get in this boredom trance and looking around at what we're going to do next. And the biggest fish I've ever caught on the frog, you would have never known they ate it. If I wasn't watching, they just eight pounder, <laughs> set the hook and you're like, oh my gosh. So I've missed a lot of fish doing that as well, where I would be looking because I'm in a tournament and, you know, you're just geared up. You're three casts ahead of where you're at and one ate it and I'm still doing this. And I go and try to set the hook and, and then you come back and your frog's all filled up with water. It's a telltale sign that a fish had pulled it down, held it and let go of it. So keep your eye on the frog like a ninja the whole time. It's very, very hard to be like, you know, that persistent. Um, and when they do eat it, like I will, I like to make sure they eat the frog. Um, I know guys that are like super quick and I, then I've seen people that like wait a long time as well. I'm not a big waiter. Like I just want to know that they have the frog and that they didn't miss it. And by that time, by the time I process that and set the hook, it's about just enough time. Because they do not like to swim with these compared to like a buzzing speed toad from Berkeley. That's a, you know, a solid bodied frog. You, you can be reeling that and they eat it and you can almost click the bail and they hold on to it. And I think it has something to do with the density of the body or whatever, but they do not like to hold on to these very often. <laughs> and so you got a very small window to be able to know that they have it set the hook be good to go so that's a long that was a long <laughs> piece of advice but for sure no, it's, it's, a, it's a great two-minute piece of advice and i <laughs> thank you so much for coming on i uh we will down below before i let you go here i will make sure that we put the tag in the video back to where um you mentioned about your youtube episode with the frog fishing open water side we'll make sure that it's in there but it will also be down in the description for everyone so they can click on it and go Perfect. over it whenever they please to view it so thank cool. you for taking the time hunter uh good luck at the next tournament which is what lake murray i believe in like lake a couple murray. weeks that should this, be a fun this one will pro probably play kermit oh. will probably play <laughs> i I hope you have a great tournament at Lake Murray, as I almost said, Murray. Like, I hope it <laughs> goes well for you and uh, safe travels. And congrats on all the other life adventures you're about to undertake. So, yeah. Yeah. Congratulations to you, too. That's awesome. Yeah. I appreciate you, you having me on here. Yeah, of course. And we'll chat soon. Okay. Have Talk fun. to you later. See you. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode on the Lure Lab. We're talking frog fishing with Hunter Shryrock. Um, as I said his name wrong this time, but um, as always, if you're on YouTube, 
please hit the subscribe button, drop a comment down below of what your favorite frog is or your setup. If you're on MP3, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave a review. It helps this podcast be shown and for more people to see it who are looking up bass fishing podcasts. And we greatly appreciate it. And stay tuned for next week's episode. <laughs>